Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So we are continuing with the story. Um, We've started the beginning of this year, and we're in chapter 5. If you are reading through the book that we provided, the story book, if you haven't picked that that up yet, um, please make sure you do at the help desk before you leave. We want everybody to be in on this. Um, And we're dealing this this morning with Exodus chapters 19 and 20 with a very, very familiar uh, thing. I think everybody has heard of the Ten Commandments, okay? Pretty much everybody's heard of those. Um, Every once in a while, I get engaged in a conversation with somebody talking about faith or God or, or, or beliefs and all of that kind of thing. And, and um, we talk about the need for God. And every once in a while, people say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. I, I keep the Ten Commandments. And, and every once in a while, I'm tempted to. And every so often, I actually do. I say, really? Could you name them? And I kind of get this like deer in the headlights look. And it's like I've asked them to name all seven of the dwarfs or something like that. It's like, yeah, I know them, but I can't think of them, you know. And, and generally they'll come up with maybe four or five. Well, I know there's do not murder. Okay, I can remember that one. There's something about do not commit adultery and, 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 and do not steal. Or, and about, that's about as far as it goes. I mean, and there's a lot of confusion about the Ten Commandments. Um, where do they fit, particularly even, even among those who consider themselves Christ followers, believers in God? Where do they fit? I, I know that Jesus brought grace and all of that, but, but where do the commandments fit now? And a lot of times people um, um, just kind of work under this, this heavy load of this impossible set of rules and regulations. They wonder... What am I supposed to do with all of that? So this morning, I hope we're going to clear up a little bit of that confusion for you. And we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 19. If you're using the book, the story that we're, we provided, it's on page 59. It's in Exodus 19. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. And let me kind of bring you up to speed. Because last week, we talked about how God delivered the nation of Israel from their slavery in Egypt. That he brought about this freedom. And that same those same principles of freedom apply to freedom in our own lives. And so now he's brought the nation of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt and brought them to Mount Sinai. And it says that God descended in a cloud on the top of a mountain and Moses went up to meet with God. And we pick up the story, Exodus 19, verse 3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people. And set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. Now, everything that comes after this has to be in this context. Because God is not laying down a random set of rules and regulations. A random set of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Okay? It all fits in the context of this story that we have been going through, this redemptive story of God working in the lives of human beings and in human history. And up till now, he has been working mostly through individuals like Abraham and Moses and Joseph. Now, he is, that, that, that family has become a nation. 
And he is giving them something that is incredibly powerful. He is giving them a description of how life is meant to be lived. And this life that is meant to be lived is meant to be lived by people under the rule of grace. See, a lot of times people think that, that the law is in opposition to grace, and they are not. They are on the same side. The law is really an expression of God's grace, and that's what we're going to look at this morning because it all comes down to this relationship. Obedience to God flows out of a relationship with God. If you don't get that, then it's just a set of rules and regulations, an impossible set of code of conduct that that is impossible to live up to. And what you ought to understand is from the very beginning, it flows out of a relationship. See, the greatest misconception that people have about the Ten Commandments and about the law is that God's love and God's acceptance is reserved for good rule keepers. That's what most people think. And obedience to the law gets you in, and disobedience is what keeps you out. And nothing could be further from the truth. Because it's really about a relationship. See, the law was given to people that God had already established a relationship with. He had done it thousands of years ahead of time with Abraham and made this promise to him that out of you, I will make a great nation and through through your nation, your family, all nations of the world will be blessed. He established this relationship thousands of years ago. He sustained it all the way through his descendants. He, descended, he's, he, he sustained it all the way through their deliverance. Remember what he said before a single command is given. He says these words. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. See, God is giving them a set of rules that flow out of the relationship he's already established. The relationship comes ahead of the rules. The rules are an expression of the relationship. Almost 38 years ago, I walked down an aisle and in front of all of my friends, my family members, in front of the pastor of our church, I made a solemn vow to my wife. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, keeping forsaking all others, keeping only to you as long as we both shall live. I defined the relationship in those vows, and she did so with me. And with those vows, with that relationship, with that new relationship, came a whole set of rules and regulations. Now, I wasn't signing on to rules and regulations. What I was doing was committing myself to a relationship. But in that committing of that relationship, I said, no matter what happens for the rest of our lives, no matter if I feel good or I don't feel good, whether I am sick or whether I'm healthy, whether you are sick or you are healthy, I am here with you, committed. Better or worse, good times, bad times, it doesn't matter. See, those are the rules. And part of that rule was keeping only to you, which meant this is an exclusive relationship and no other relationship takes priority here. No other relationship impinges on this relationship. Those vows brought a whole set of rules and regulations, but I didn't sign on to the rules and regulations. I signed on to a relationship, and the rules come with it. See, what it did was it redefined our relationship. Not only that, it actually redefined and started to shape me. 
My wife has worked for the school district for I don't know how many years now. First at the middle school. Now she works at the district office. And in that relationship, she, in that job, she has had all kinds of, of people that she knows. She knows parents in the school district. She knows uh, uh, staff and people who work in the district. She knows mo- more than half the police force in Benicia, which is not a bad thing, by the way. That's, that's a good connection to have. But what happened with that is that now around town, in some circles, I am known as Betty's husband. See, I have been redefined by this relationship. And, and, and that's everybody, oh, you're Betty's husband. Oh, you're Betty. Everybody knows Betty. Nobody knows me, okay? I am Betty's husband. Although, although a couple of months ago, someone, had to, someone from our church actually had to go in and had, um, had a, uh, set up an appointment with the superintendent. And, and my wife works, she's the chief administrative assistant to the superintendent of the Phoenicia Public School District, okay? That all fits on her little business card. Um, <laughs> And, and somebody had to make an appointment with the, with the superintendent. Went into her office and saw there were some pictures um, from our, one of our vacations up on the wall. And the person turned to her and she says, how come you have a picture of Pastor Ken in your office? <laughs> so it has redefined her as well, okay? But that's the idea. The relationship comes first. And obedience to God flows out of my relationship with God. See, for over 400 years, this people had been a a nation of slaves. They had no identity. They had no code of conduct. They were completely at the mercy of their Egyptian taskmasters, and they did what they were told, and that was it. Now they are a free people, and God is giving them an identity. In fact, look what else he says. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. See, it's all about the relationship. He says, you will be a treasured possession. In other words, you have value. Not because of what you produce as a slave, but because I have put you in a place of value. You have value as people. I will make of you a holy nation. You have distinctiveness. You are set apart from all other peoples. And a destiny. You will be a kingdom of priests. And God did this not because they were more holy than any other group of people. Not because they were good rule keepers because none of the rules had been given yet. He did it simply as an act of his grace. And my obedience to God and your obedience to God comes first and foremost out of my relationship and your relationship with him. That's where it flows from. And the relationship comes long before the rules. Obedience to God flows out of my relationship with God. Obedience to God, secondly, results in a greater freedom. Now, this takes a little unpacking because we tend to think we live in a free country. And when we think of freedom, what we think of is freedom from, okay? Freedom from external restraints, freedom from restriction, freedom from um, having to do things because somebody said so. And most of when we think mostly of freedom, that's what we think of. But freedom comes actually in two flavors, There is a freedom from, but there is also a freedom to. 
You might think, well, wait a minute. God brought these people out of slavery from Pharaoh and from Egypt, but now he's imposing on them this set of rules and regulations. Haven't they just exchanged one set of slavery to another for another? I mean, at least under Egyptian slavery, you got a break every once in a while. But how do you get a break from God? I mean, this seems like more slavery. This is, this is even more demanding. How can that be considered freedom? But again, before God gives any of these rules, he reminds them once again, I am the Lord. And what's the word there? I am the Lord, your God. Not I am the Lord, the God. I am the Lord, God. I am the Lord, your God. This is still about relationship who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Now, we refer to them as the Ten Commandments, but in Hebrew, actually, the direct translation is not commandments, it is statements. These are the Ten Statements or the Ten Declarations. In other words, this isn't a set of rules and regulations. This is a description of how life is meant to be lived. How you are meant to live in a relationship with God. How you are to relate to one another under this relationship that you have with God. And I said at the beginning of this talk that, that most of us, we know of the Ten Commandments, but most of us don't even, couldn't even name all ten of them if we were pressed to it. So this morning, we're going to go through every one of them together. And we're gonna, I want, what I want us to do is be able to read them out loud together. And then I'm going to give just a little quick commentary about each one of those so that you understand how these are declarations about how we were supposed to live with God. So we're going to start with number one. Let's read it together. We'll put it up here on the screen for you. You shall have... No other gods before me. In other words, there is only one person on whom you can put your full faith and trust. There are no other gods. We talked about this a little bit last week. Whatever else you put your faith and trust in, whatever relationship, whatever, whatever resources you might have, whatever else you put your faith and trust in, if it is not God, it will ultimately disappoint. It will ultimately let you down. And so God is saying, don't put your trust and your faith in something that's going to disappoint you, that's ultimately going to let you down. There is only one God. Now, by the way, if there is only one God and he alone is God, what does that mean? Who is not God? Me. (laughs) You. And we need reminding of that every once in a while, that there is a God and it is not me. Okay? In fact, that might be a good thing for us to do this morning. Would you turn to the person next to you and just say to them, there is a God and it is not you. All right? Just remind each other this morning. Okay, now you don't have to go into great detail as how you know that to be true. Okay? It's just a simple fact. There is a God and it is not me. And it is not you. You will have no other gods. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Let's read it out loud together. Come on, be with me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. In other words, see, to have an idol, now we, we talked about this last week. The Egyptian had a whole the Egyptians had a whole pantheon of gods, and with them came all these idols and, and inscriptions on walls and stellas and all these other things. And, and 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 the whole idea was if you could have an idol of a god, then in some way he became your god. And you had a little bit of control over him. And so people in making idols would have this sense that even though it's, this is a God, if I have an idol and I do certain things, I can manipulate him to do things my way. And that's, the, that's kind of the idea behind having a personal idol. 
No, but anyway, does anybody remember at the same time that God is giving these commandments to Moses, what's going on down in the camp in Israel? Does anybody remember? They're making an idol. <laughs> yeah, they're down there making an idol. Do you, do you remember, as you read it this week, do you remember why they were making an idol? They came to Aaron and they said, listen, this guy Moses, he's gone up to the mountain and he's been gone a long time and we don't know when he's ever going to come back. So make for us an idol so we will have something to worship. In other words, we don't like God's timetable. We don't like the way God is running the show. We don't like the fact that he's brought us out to this desert and then he's taking this leader up on a mountain and we don't know if he's ever coming back. We don't know. We don't like the way God is taking care of things. So we need an idol that we can manage. And that's, what that's, that's what's going on. That's what that is all about. And by the way, Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees Aaron and he sees this calf and he sees all the people bound and he is absolutely furious he is furious and, and breaks the tablets because this is what you've done with God's law. You've broken it. And he's acting out what they have actually done. He doesn't just throw them down in anger. He is acting out prophetically what it is that they have done. And then he confronts Aaron about this thing. He says, how could you do such a thing? And you remember what Aaron says? He said, I don't know. The people came to me and I said, well, just throw your gold. And we put it all in this fire. And out came this calf. You're like, that's a believable story. But see, that's what idol making is all about. It's trying to manipulate God to my timetable or to my way of doing things. He says, listen, don't think you can shape God into an image that you can control. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Number three, let's read it together. You shall not misuse God's name. Now, this isn't just about cussing, okay? What he's saying is, don't take my name and attach it to something that I have not attached it to. Do not use me and my name to gain leverage in some way for your own agenda. Because I'm, I'm not your toy. Number four, let's read it out loud. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. In other words, trust God for your provision. Don't wear yourself out trying to make it in this world. Don't put all of your hope into success on all of your effort. Don't worship your work. Worship God. Keep life in perspective. Live in the rhythm that God has established. Number five, honor your father and mother, even when it's hard. Hold them in esteem and honor them. Number six, you shall not commit murder, which includes hatred and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that you hold against another person. Jesus made that really, really clear. Number seven, read it out loud with me. You shall not commit adultery. In other words, keep yourself sexually pure. Because God knows how he created you and why he created you. And he knows what is best for your soul. Number eight. You shall not steal. Don't go through life as a taker. Be a giver. Number nine. You shall not bear false witness. In other words, be people of integrity. Let your word mean something. 
Stand behind it. And number 10, you shall not covet. In other words, don't let your, your pursuit in life be driven by your desire to have what other people have. Don't let that drive your life. See, these are all descriptions of what life is meant to look like, the way that God designed it to be lived. And it's not just, it, 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 it's not about freedom from, it, there's another type of freedom, and you might call it freedom to. And it's freedom to live life like life was designed to be lived. It is freedom to live life as you were designed and to become the person that you were designed to be. I'll give you an example of this. Someone turns 21. And on their 21st birthday, all of a sudden, there is a new set of rules and regulations. They are free from certain restrictions. There are certain activities now they can do. So, so someone turns 21, and now they can drink alcohol. And they do. <laughs> and they like it. And they drink more and more and more. But see, they're 21, so they have the freedom to do this. So they go ahead and they drink all the alcohol they want. And then it becomes something that starts to grip their life. And now it begins, now, now, now it begins to influence and impact their health. And it starts to affect the quality of their work. And then it starts to impinge on and ruin their family life and their relationships free to drink as much as they want and they do but it starts having all of these negative effects and they realize i can't keep living like this so they make a decision and say i'm gonna stop drinking the only thing is now they discover they're not free to do that because now this has gotten a hold of their life and this has become a dependency this has become something that now runs their life and what they thought started out as this freedom from restriction has now become a, a, a slavery to something that is now driving their life. And discover, I'm not free after all. See, there's an inner freedom. There is, there's a way in which God designed us to live in freedom. And the law that is given is the freedom to be the person God designed you to be. And life within those boundaries, if you will, life within those statements, those declarations of what life is to be like is the freest life you could possibly find. And the person who now becomes addicted or becomes a slave to alcohol now discovers there is only one way to truly be free. I turn my life and my will over to God because he is the ultimate source of my freedom. Jesus, these are, these are not random rules and regulations. They are really the things that set us free. See, sometimes people think grace means absence of rules. Grace gives me the freedom to do whatever I want. There, there are no more rules anymore. And that is not grace. That is anarchy, okay? Grace says that God has brought me into this relationship with him, and he has given me some some declarations about how I should live my life. Craig Groeschel wrote a book a number of years ago now. It's, uh, he called it The Christian Atheist. And the subtitle is, I believe in God, but live as if he doesn't exist. And it goes kind of like this. Each chapter kind of goes like this. I believe in God, but my money is my money. <laughs> Don't tell me 
how to take care of my finances. I believe in God, but I'm still going to hold on to that grudge. Even though God says to forgive and that freedom comes in forgiveness, I, what they did to me, I'm going to hold on to that for the rest of my life. I believe in God, but I'm going to hang on to this. I believe in God, but don't tell me how to run my sex life. Because I know what pleases me. See, God gave the rules and the law to set us free from ourselves and the desires that could drive us. And the last one, that obedience to God allows me to experience the goodness of God. Your level of obedience and my level of obedience largely comes down to what do I think and believe about God? It's really what it comes down to. Because see, if I think of God as this grouchy old curmudgeon who is just constantly angry and he's made up this set of rules and regulations just for an excuse to smack me around every once in a while, see, then, then I'm, then, then I'm going to rebel against that. I, I'm not going to be a part of that. I don't want somebody telling me how to live my life. You're not the boss of me. Anybody remember? There was, a, a, there was a, actually a program a um, number of years ago called Malcolm in the Middle. The theme song for the program, anybody remember that? I, that was one of my favorite programs. The theme song consisted of basically this one line. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me now. You're not the boss of me. And that's how we live our lives. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. You're not the boss of me. And we do that because we think that these rules and regulations are somehow God stifling me. And it's somehow God's putting on these rules on me so I won't be able to enjoy life. And I'm going to somehow miss out on something. But when I begin to obey and live life as he declared it to be and designed it to be, I discover he really is good. How many of you remember when you were, when you were growing up, especially when you hit teenage years, Weren't your parents like the worst people in the world? I mean, they absolutely knew nothing, and all they did was put all these restrictions on you. Anybody remember that time in your life? Okay? And then you grew up, and you realized they really knew what they were talking about. <laughs> and they really did have my best interest at heart. And they only put those restrictions on me because they loved me. See, that's what obedience to God does. It brings me to the point where I, re I realize God really does know what he's talking about. That he really does know how life is meant to be lived. And I truly experience that he is not only great and powerful, but he's good. And obedience to God opens me up to this whole idea that God really does love me, that he really is good, that he really does have my best interest at heart. And at times, even when I don't want to obey, when I do obey, I discover his goodness. See, the law was given as something, a part of something bigger, a covenant. The Lord said to Moses, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. God said, I am binding myself. I am bonding myself with you. And these words that I give to you, they are part of this bigger thing called a promise and a covenant. Unconditional love and acceptance. And 
and the rules that he lays down, the rules, the statements, the declarations that he gives me are simply the fulfillment and the assurance of the relationship that he already gave me. And that's why the people in response to that said things like, we will do everything that the Lord has said. Now, by the way, how did they do with that? (laughs) How do you do with that? See, I have the intention. I know that God is good. and And I've come to discover his law is good. The problem is, I, for the most part, am not. And neither are you. So don't get so high and mighty over me, all right? I am imperfect, and so are you. I have intent, but I fail. And God knew that about us, too. And when God gave the law, he was actually, it was just one part of a bigger picture, a bigger story that ultimately finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Because not only did the law come to show us how good and great God is, it also comes to serve as a reminder that we are not. And we cannot live up to it. And the law in itself will not get us where we need to be in this relationship with him. We need something more. And that's what Jesus Christ provided. Because he came and lived life on this earth totally in obedience to God the Father. Totally perfect with regard to the law. And then on a cross, he took on himself the punishment and the payment that my disobedience And my sin deserved. And what God started 1,500 years earlier with the giving of the law, he completed now in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul wrote to the Roman church what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.